Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz trumpeter and flugelhornist Eddie Henderson. He opened up with Neon Jazz about his latest 2018 CD, simply called Be Cool. It's number two on the charts these days and pays respects to his roots in jazz. And they run deep, from his parents that were very musical... And at the age of nine, he was given an informal lesson by Louis Armstrong. And Miles Davis was a family friend that stayed at his house and gave him a lot of advice. And he was heavily influenced by him. And he also studied and played quite a bit as a teenager in San Francisco. He came to prominence in the early 70s as a member of pianist Herbie Hancock's band. And over the years, he's worked with Froa Sanders and Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, along with many others. He would go on to earn a medical degree and work a parallel career as a psychiatrist and a musician. Eddie is gracious and a very fascinating man, so please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Thanks again for taking a minute out. It's an honor, and uh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you call. <laughs> so let's go ahead and dive right in here. Be Cool is number two on the charts. It's a wonderful album. And I just want to ask you, what, what, what were the artistic motivators that went into this album? What were you feeling when you went into this project? Well, uh, you know, uh, going through, well, you know, my, my, my wife's tune, the title album, Be Cool, you know, uh, I recorded that once before. But I, I figured the particular personnel on this album, Kenny Barron, uh, Mike Clark, Elliot Elliot, and Donald Harrison, the saxophone player, would would really give it a little more justice. And I, I and my daughter's tune on this night ride. I, I, I think it's like kind of sort of an, an eclectic approach. You know, just shows you where I'm at uh, in the present. You know, and my, with my inspirations like Moon Train, my affiliation with Woody Shaw from way back from 1964. He and I were good friends, and of course, I've, my affiliation with Miles Davis, uh, since I was in high school, uh, he used to stay at my parents' house. That's what inspired me to, to play jazz in the first place, and that tune, Fran Dance, I used to go hear him play that in person when I was in high school at the Blackhawk in San Francisco. And of course, the composition, Naima, by John Coltrane. John Coltrane used to come over the house. I used to see him perform so all this is in my musical being, and I just wanted to show what influences all these things had on my musical personality, and and bring and has brought me where I am today. Speaking of your musical influences and kind of your DNA, your mother was one of the uh, original dancers at the Cotton Club. Yes, and, and and her roommate was Billie Holiday, and her best friend was Lena Horne and Sarah Vaughan, and my father was in a group called. The Cherry, Billy Williams and the Cherry Tears, which was the number one, uh, uh, they didn't call it black then, they called it the Negro singing group in America over and above the Ink Spots and the Mills Brothers, uh, uh, in the early 40s. So as you say, music is in my DNA. True. That's all you've known. I mean, that's been a part of your existence yeah. from the word go. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the one thing that's interesting, too, you had informal lessons by Louis Armstrong when you were growing up. Yes. What was that like? Well, since my mother uh, knew Louis Armstrong, she and Sarah Vaughn and Lena Vaughn both took me down to the Apollo Theater when I was nine years old. And I remember we were sitting there, and they took me. I heard him play, and I was impressed by his big sound. They took me backstage, and, and uh, when I was 1949, and Louis Armstrong showed me how to make a sound on his trumpet and mouthpiece. 
you know, but I, I was so young and, and immature, I didn't know who really, who he was or what he represented. Then, but I took, started taking lessons diligently, and I came back a year later, and I played Flight of the Bumblebee for him, and he was impressed. And he gave me a book of ten of his solos transcribed, and, and at the top he says, To Little Eddie, this is to warm your chops up by meaning my lips. You sound wonderful. Keep practicing. Love, Satchmo. And so I, I have it around here, the house somewhere, but, you know, I, did, did, I didn't realize the significance of that encounter. And that turned into the rest of my life, <laughs> so to speak. You know. <laughs> yeah, right on, yeah. man. And then when you, growing up in San Francisco, you got to play with the symphony orchestra. You had a lot of experiences. In well, well actually, it was, it was the San Francisco, Conser- so I, I went to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music during high school. And I was in the, in the conservatory symphony orchestra, and my teacher, he was actually in the San Francisco Symphony, the first chair. And so uh, he got me, I was one of his best students, so he played the first chair in the conservatory orchestra, and I played the second chair in the conservatory symphony orchestra. So that was my exposure to, to classical play. However, I was studying, you know, classical music up until the time I met Miles Davis when I was 17. Then the light went on. Then I started pursuing uh, uh, jazz, you know. But but from age nine until seventeen, it was all just trying to learn technically how to play the instrument and then studying, you know, out of the classical book and repertoire. How important is it to understand the classical side of things as you go into something like jazz? Is it is it important? You no, know, music is a language, and, and I think the more language the more vocabulary you, one will have so they can speak eloquently, you know. And, and certainly playing jazz is one thing, it expresses your emotions, but they're learning how to play classical music and the technical side of how to play the instrument is, is, is invaluable because you might have a grandiose idea, but if you can't execute it on the instrument, nobody benefits. <laughs> so so yeah. learning how to play technically, uh, you know, just enhances whatever musical uh, uh, aptitudes or, or talent you have, I, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about hearing Miles live. you got to play a gig with him. What was it like to be on the bandstand with that kind of artistic force? Well, I, I was never on the bandstand with him, I, but I've, I went to hear him since 1957 until the time he died, and I emulated him. He used to, he used to hear me play and recommend to me, you know, don't try to uh, uh, imitate him. Uh, and then, and then he, sometimes he would ask me, are you still trying to imitate me? And see, the person he imitated was Freddie Webster, uh, who came before him. Uh, so that's how the tradition goes. So when, one time he asked me, and I said, you mean Freddie Webster? He said, oh, shit, I didn't know you was hip to that. And then he smiled <laughs> and, and whispered in my ear. He said, everybody's a thief. I just made a short-term loan, <laughs> and then left. <laughs> you know, everybody's the derivative of their predecessors. That's what I'm really Absolutely. trying to say. You know, Absolutely. So the interesting thing about you is not only do you have a career in music, you have a degree in medicine as well. Talk to me yeah. about that. Yeah, well, see, when I was 14 years old, my real father died when I was nine, so my mother married this very wealthy doctor in San Francisco, so we moved out there, and he was the w- w- wealthiest black doctor in San Francisco. And 
and he told me when I was 14 years old that he was a, a doctor and the closest thing to God, and I was gonna, just going to be a bum on the waterfront because I wasn't as smart as him. So I just wanted to play the trumpet. So when he told he told the wrong person, so when he told me that, I said, oh, yeah, watch. So I went out of my way to prove him wrong. Became a doctor, practiced medicine for uh, uh, 12 years. You know, I was playing music all the time. But before I started practicing, uh, I left the, the residency in psychiatry because Herbie Hancock gave me a chance to play with him. So, so I already had my license to practice medicine, but if I missed that opportunity to play music, which is where my heart was, I, I, you know, I would, couldn't live with myself. So I did play with Herbie Hancock from 70 to 73. And when that ended, you know, I went back and practiced medicine from 75 to 85 in San Francisco, then moved back to New York. And, and from, I, have, I have not practiced medicine since 1987 to been all music, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your time with Herbie. What did you learn from him? I mean, you got to, there's a music level and then there's a human level. What did you learn from him? Well, certainly. Well, when I joined that M1DC group, uh, you know, it was my first time really on the road, and I, you know, I revered everybody else in the band, Herbie Hancock, Buster Williams, Billy Hart, Benny Moppin, and Julian Priester. They were all journeymen. You know, so I tried to uh, just rise. They pulled me up from the bootstraps from being an amateur to a professional. And and once I joined Herbie, people like Dexter Gordon, Art Blakey, Joe Henderson, uh, all, all my heroes started hiring me. They said, well, since you play with Herbie, you're, your credentials are in order. And so it, it really just uh, high sped me up without going through all the traditional working my own way up through the trenches. It put me on the higher echelons of, of playing with, you know, the top musicians. And the things I learned, like just like Herbie learned from Miles Davis, you know, certain awarenesses that you don't get at a jam session, how to play with people. As so right after Herbie, I played with Art Blakey, also, which is a musical institution, which teaches you how to play melodies and make it become alive. So all these experiences, you know, uh, one on top of the other, first with Herbie Hancock, then with Art Blakey, uh, then with McCoy Tyner, uh, Joe Henderson, you know, just added to my musical being and brings me up to the present. That's why I'm so proud of this, this new album, Be Cool, because I think... It shows my past influences, and, and which has brought me up to where I'm at in my personal and musical being as exhibited through the music of Be Cool. You know, you've been around masters, you've been around legends, and you've learned and mm. accumulated a lot from them. What did you get from them that's made you such a good teacher with your students and those that play with you? Well, the, the main thing I learned with Herbie Hancock and Art Blakey and McCoy Tyner and Joe Henderson, all the people I mentioned, all those avatar musical avatars, they never, Herbie never told me how to play or what to play. You know, as in some bands I've been, the leader always says, he wants me to play this way or that way or, you know, don't do this and don't do that. Because if you hire racehorses, you let them run. You know, so when I have a band just exhibited in, in the Be Cool album. They're the best musicians I know. Or any of the records I've done, I never utter a word 
about what they should do. I, I just leave it up to their musical judgment. That's how Miles Davis did Herbie Hancock. He never told them what to play or how to play. Never told Tony Williams and Wayne Shorter how to play. And so that's the main thing that I've John Coltrane never told Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner how to play. Let them be themselves. And then it's a collective portrait as opposed to just a self-portrait of the band leader dictating uh, how his concept of, uh, of music, you know. Sure. I think it has more scope. Without a doubt. You know, the one thing, segueing from specific musicians to, like, going around the world, what has it meant to you to travel the different regions of the world to give fans your music? Uh, with the world, it has become smaller with air travel. And, uh, and you know, be, in the 50s, of jazz was a certain ethnic tradition. Now, you know, other influences, Latin music, Brazilian music, even Indian music. John Coltrane certainly incorporated some of his scales from Indian music. Yeah, but to answer your question, my travels, you know, because I just got back from a European tour playing in Poland and uh, on my pre... And in fact, one of the albums on, 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 on the Be Cool is Zla Juzi. It's from a Polish composer. I always liked that Eastern European melody, and I thought that would add to the flavor of showing my scope of musical influences. So to answer your question, traveling, even when I go to, I'm going to Japan tomorrow just for a vacation, but I've, 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 over the last 20 years I've been there multiple times, and just hearing different cultures, their music, you know, has rubbed off on me, and I think different languages and musical languages, you know, just helps, since music is a language, just helps me express myself better. You know, you've dedicated your life to jazz. You clearly love jazz. Yeah. So tell me, why do you love jazz? Uh, jazz, uh, through music, uh, through my musical playing and playing with other people, uh, gives me a sense of expression where I can express myself. It gives me a sense of humility. It has taught me how to harmonize through music. It has taught me how to harmonize and balance on a personal level, with human beings, too. You know, how to compromise. You know, because you can't be on the bad side and say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, if I, if I realize somebody is, is, is not playing the right beat, then I'll bend and try to touch their soul through the medium of sound. And on, on, on that same note, this taught me how to blend personally with people, too. You know, because there's nothing absolute, I found out. Uh, through my musical experience, there's nothing absolute in life itself. So it, it's taught me to to be a better person. Tell you the truth, you know. Hopefully, right on. You know, looking from the outside, and you've had an incredible run in music. Just so many experiences in so many regions of the world. Oh, yeah. So many. It's people. almost like a cosmic dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, my question yeah. is, how do you feel about your career? When you sit down on the porch with lemonade in your hand, and you think about your life, are you happy with what's happened? I'm, I'm overjoyed at 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 at, at, at I call it, you know serendipity. You know, I just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and and, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude that all this happened to me. But it seemed like really like like I said before a dream, and and even all the accomplishments and and then wonderful things that I've gone through. I feel like I'm just beginning to tell you the truth. 
you know. You know, I'm always interested with cats like you that have been around for so long that you've been in the middle of eras that have been just absolutely historic and meteoric in the realm true, of jazz. True, just true. so many people love it. Did you know that was happening, or were you guys just doing that thing? Well, you know, like the MYDC thing? Uh, I knew something uh, different was happening, but I, but I really wasn't fun. I was so involved in it, uh, you know, I... I I was too involved in the actual experience of it to even be thinking about, oh, uh, they're, they're, this is historic. No, I, I wasn't thinking like that then. And even after that, when the, when the fusion era came in, I had a couple of hits on that in the mid-70s. And I was just uh, uh, involved, enjoying doing what I was doing at the time. But then when I look back at the chronology of each period, of the historic period that I've been involved in, I said, wow. <laughs> Wasn't that something? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. <laughs> You've seen so much in the world of jazz over your career, and I, I think about the metaphor of Miles. You know, he began uh, playing in one realm and then really evolved over his life. So my question is oh, this. Exactly. Well, 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 well I, I, I more or less got that kind of concept from observing Miles. You know, because he would get more, and I think Herbie Hancock got the essence of that because, like Herbie and my, they would both get bored with the Hope Diamond, whatever their their heights they reach and their accomplishments. The next day, that they, they could probably uh, imitate it or try to recreate the same thing. But I've observed Herbie on the bandstand, musically, if he's in a solo and approaches something. And you hear it coming, oh, he's going to do that again. As soon as he gets there, he'll back off and just smile and say, no, 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 I did that last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I got that from Miles, and I catch myself doing that sometimes. I say, oh, that sounded good last night. I'm going to do it again. Then I say, Eddie, don't do that. <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> so. So from a you're, you're a, a journeyman musician and you're a teacher, tell me how healthy is jazz in 2018 in America? I think very healthy. But, you know, because first I was teaching at Juilliard for nine years, and then that ended two years ago. But for the last four years, uh, I'm the trumpet teacher at Oberlin College right outside of Cleveland. And as you see now, all over the world, they have all these jazz schools, younger generations, aspiring to play jazz, just jazz music. You know, this thing about uh, jazz is dead or jazz is coming back, through my eyes, it never left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from, from my experience, it, it's just always been here. Maybe I'm just looking through my eyes because I've been very fortunate, but the way I see it, it, it's never gone anywhere. I see the same thing for sure. So let me get to the crux of who you are. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, and your fans, but you're running your life. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Wow. That's all right. <laughs> That's a, all the other questions are easy. <laughs> Who do I think I am? <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just an ordinary person, you know, uh, in, in love with the art form and trying to do the best I can, you know, to try to be the best I can in what I do, you know, and the older I get, you know, before it was just like fun and games, I enjoyed it, you know, but the older I get, 
the more meaningful uh, uh, it, it is what I do. It's just not a play thing, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I dig it. Eddie, thank you for taking a minute out for me today. It's been an Bye. honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the Bye. music. Mine too. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in San Francisco, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Eddie for his music and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.